0: Welcome back to another episode of the Find Your Prime podcast. Today, Tyler and I sit down and continue our conversation about how we'd like to look at general movement patterns and how we look at the prerequisites for particularly the deadlift, the squat, some thoughts on stretching, and some finishing thoughts and going through kind of what we've been up to. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you on the other side. Yeah.
1: Ready? (laughs) Hey, 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 let's go. I'm at my I'm at my I'm at my cry.
0: And welcome back to another episode of the Find Your Prime podcast. Um, this is, I think, our last one for the month of July. I think next one, next one will be August. So um, last week we discussed um, some prerequisites and some ways that we like to progress and regress movements. Um, well, more like the prerequisites, less on the, you know progressions and regressions but today i think we finished with talking giving you a little teaser for this week about the deadlift and we told you to go home and practice touching your toes hopefully you did that and now we can continue on the next progression to finding your deadlift but before we get there tyler what has happened in your life since last week uh
1: yeah my my life is pretty much the same as last week we have cleaned and packed most of the house because we are moving out of north augusta south carolina back to vermont with a small little break in there for my sister's wedding next week so that's going to be a fun time and then yeah we're in vermont for roughly three three months potentially potentially more if we you know if we like the area
0: again so and when are you moving to utica for the, the midterm
1: the midterm yeah we're leaving friday so it'll be like the 29th and we're going to be there for a good week and a half and then off to vermont back to. Back to the tiny home. We lived in a 400 square foot tiny home last time we were there and we're going back there. I thought
0: you weren't going to do it. You decided to do it?
1: Yeah, we're going to do it because there's a lot of land for the dogs. It's familiar. It's like $500 cheaper a month than the place we were looking at. And we can move in on day one. The other place didn't have availability until 10 days after our contract started. Which is, is-, it the same,
0: is it the same one? Yeah. The same tiny home? Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. not, not a lot of demand apparently that it's still available.
1: No, no deposit. Like, you know, I barely signed a contract last time. It's, it was a good setup. He took our garbage out for us. You know, I can't, well, I think
0: it. this time too. I mean, they probably have some, you know, you guys did it already and you were good for it. So why not?
1: Yeah. Right. What about you?
0: So for me, uh, this week is has, has, I mean, just in general, my personal life is all over the place, but professionally in terms of the gym, like I'm but Wednesdays are already like really hectic days for me. Like not hectic in terms of bad, but busy. Um, we have our athlete training program. I usually have some personal training clients. I have, you know, our adult class. So my, my days are pretty busy up to this point. They kind of wind down a little bit and then we do the podcast. And then after, which is really fun, is that we go and do our speed and agility camp. So last year I kind of reached out to the city to reboot uh, what's called speed camp it happened when I was younger and our high school track and field coach he had run it for something like 15 or 20 years and then he retired and stopped doing it and then it kind of like fizzled out and some people tried to pick it up here and there but it never kind of gained any traction so last year I was uh, kind of last minute I, I tried to reboot it it wasn't very successful I mean I think I might have had at most eight kids. At minimum, I was like two to eight kids most of the time. And we run an eight week camp, two days a week for an hour and a half for completely for free at, you know, at the local high school turf field, you know, the whole, the whole nine. Um, I bring gear, bring music, have fun, you know, whatever. This year, you know, with more time to prep, more time to market, I guess, in some ways, just tell people that it's happening. We've been averaging About 20 to 25 kids each session. And yeah, and it's been a lot of a ton of fun, you know, like getting that group of kids and having, you know, running around with them, getting to play games, getting to see them have fun and sweat a little bit. I mean, with the exception of a few weird days that we had, I think one there was like thunder and lightning and another day it was like a 1000 degrees (laughs) in upstate New York. It was so hot and humid that we had like the weather advisory. I think one one girl showed up and I was like, Man, do you really want to do this right now? Just you and I. It's not gonna be very fun. I'm gonna be honest. It's gonna be pretty miserable. And she's like, I think I'm just gonna go home. And I was like, All right, good choice. I will I will not fault you for that. So with the exception of those couple of days, we've been having pretty consistently, you know, twenty or more student athletes who've been participating. And like I said, it's been it's been really great to kind of keep this going and, and trying to keep that. Model going one of the things that I've changed over the years is that it used to be because he was a track coach It used to be very and I think this is what we're still trying to I'm trying to flip the script a little bit is that people think that it's still like the speed camp that he used to run, which was more track and field based and i'm trying I keep reframing it as a speed and agility camp for field and court athletes not just so so older folks like myself, not that I'm old, but people who have done it in the past. And, you know, because these are the parents of the people who are doing it potentially, right? So the kids who are teenagers now, a lot of their parents are like, yeah, I remember speed camp when I was a kid. And, you know, coach, you know, did it back then and it was very like track and field heavy. So now I'm trying to like reframe it for a lot of these parents. They're like, no, this is great for basketball kids. This is great for soccer. This is great for football. This is great for whatever, not just track and field. And, you know, people who are like, oh, it's a track and field camp, you know, which is a very small percentage in our area. They come and they're like, why are we doing all this change of direction stuff? And they're like, they, they're all confused, but there's it's only a few of them. So I'd rather have like the 50 field and court sport athletes versus like the five track and field athletes um, who are really there for like just the linear speed stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. Let's just put it like that.
1: I would say the the non-linear speed stuff is probably going to make them potentially better anyways. But do you find that it's like the same kids every week or is it like different? It mixes it up a lot.
0: I mean, I would say for the... The core, like 60%, 60 to 70% are probably the same group of kids. And then we have some fluctuations here and there. And it's always, you know, summer's always tough. Like there's a couple of soccer athletes that are on vacation right now. So they miss the week, but they'll be, you know, they miss three days and then they come back and then, you know, so on and so forth. So, I mean, you do, I do get a pretty consistent group of kids that, you know, I've been able to, I know their name when they come now, you know, it's pretty consistent. And then, you know, every once in a while, there's like three to five new kids are like, Oh, what's your name? You know, what, you know, what school are you from? You know, what sports do you play and and things like that. But for the most part, it is the same kind of core group of kids, which makes it all makes it fun too, because now, you know, it's done in the, as a city, but we're getting kids from the suburbs and the city and they get to work together and, and find out that everyone's pretty much the same. You know, I think that's where you know, especially, yeah, we're yeah. in like the Utica, right? I'm right in the the high school at the big, bad high school. So some people get intimidated by that. And then if they have some of those athletes who are there, they get intimidated just because they're from a different walk of life and they, they experience just different paths and it's really cool. And I think even just our athlete program in general, some of the best relationships that have come are we, I have this a like, group of ninth grade girls, some are from, Rome, which is a little bit further away. Some are from Whitesboro and some are from New Hartford. New Hartford and Whitesboro are like rivals. And they've become like the best of friends, like this group of like five to seven girls. And they're all from different schools and they train together. And it's really awesome to see. They probably would have never met each other, right? They became close friends. And it's just really cool to see that, you know, it brings people together in different ways too.
1: It's kind of a nice prep socially for a college. I mean, I'm assuming most of these boys and girls are doing it to prepare for some sort of high school or collegiate sport. So being able to like mix in with people and just to do your work, get after it and, and kind of like become friends with folks that are from a completely different area, it's probably nice for to prepare them for all of that when it happens inevitably in college. Yeah,
0: and even, you know, some of them are playing high level club sports too. So when you go to a club, you know, especially some of them, they go to clubs as different kids from different places and mm-hmm. some kids might be bigger or better than you, you know, however you want to phrase that. Um, so it, it gets rid of that fear I guess and then the ability to be like oh I've, I've seen different people before I kind of understand you know and you kind of take things for what they are versus assuming and having that perception of what you think they might be
1: yeah right very true alright so so last week we were talking about like prerequisites and modifications for movement patterns like you said and we,
0: and we started to talk about deadlift today we're definitely going to talk about squat though and we're gonna finish. The yeah, dentist. both and running and running. If we get to it, so running we have to have a yeah.
1: The running guy says running. Yeah, not the running guy,
0: now. but running. Running <laughs> is like saying we're gonna spend three minutes on the full variation snatch.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough.
0: But anyway, we're on deadlift. Okay, well, then, <laughs> we're yeah. on the deadlift last time If
1: you were... and we started with, yeah. go ahead. <laughs>
0: If you remember, <laughs> um, last time we had finished and Tyler had teased you guys and he he kind of like stopped the episode after we had talked about the deadlift and one of the prerequisites was to be able to touch your toes. So after you can touch your toes with legs locked, knees locked, what would be some of the things that we can do? Because let's be honest, the deadlift is probably, you know, deadlift has been classified as like the king of all exercises. And if you deadlift correctly, and like, I don't I, I don't feel it necessarily I do feel it in my legs but I also feel that when I get sore sometimes when I go heavy I get sore in like my upper back and my lats and my you know my grip because you're holding on to the barbell really heavy so I would say it's a it's a very total body experience which is why it's classified as like one of those like king of exercise type things so like what other things would people need to be able to deadlift successfully and safely
1: so I think the biggest limiting factor with a deadlift is, you know, going back to the, the core strength, core endurance, like we were talking about with the upper body strength exercises. So, besides the mobility to touch your toes, someone is going to be limited because their back, you know, they can't keep their back in a, in a in an optimal position, or they start to, you know, use their upper back or their mid back more than they use their hips and their hamstrings. So. You know, we use in our assessments for the remote clients is what we call a a Sorensen hold. So basically, if you've seen like those GHDs, um, we can set it up in, in other ways. It's essentially you kind of stick your legs in the GHD and your upper half, right? So your waist up is kind of hanging off. So it's like a it's kind of like a backwards plank. You're using your hamstrings, your butt, and your lower back to hold your body in the air. I like to have people at least be able to hold it for 60 seconds before we do any kind of deadlifting, two legs, but I think the standard is is 90 seconds or two minutes. So having sound lower back endurance and then sound lower back or you know midsection awareness. So the other thing I use to test to see if someone can do a a deadlift in their programming is like a a good morning, right? So we've done good mornings where you, you put the band around your neck and you kind of do a hip hinge or you do a barbell good morning. I simply just have people film themselves from the side doing a good morning to see if they can hold their body in a decent position and if they're aware of any changes in their positioning at their lower back or their hips. So I think aside from the mobility to touch your toes, we're looking at lower back and core endurance, whatever that may mean for you, and then enough body awareness to be able to hold your, your body in, a, in an optimal position during a deadlift. What do you
0: think? Yeah, I agree with that. And I, What I like about the good morning more so than the deadlift is that there's no preconceived notion of how low you have to go. You know, when you Mm -hmm. have a deadlift, even when we do single leg deadlifts, people always think they have to touch the floor. Yes. (laughs) You know, with a good morning, like you're not touching anything. You're not getting anywhere. So you can cue it, and especially when you're filming it, be like, get as far as you can without losing that, that position of your lower back and then you can, you know, you can see it and then be like, okay, now you know, stop it and shorter and then just work that range of motion for a couple of weeks at, at tempo or pauses. And then we'll, as you get warmed up, actually you may find like by your second, third, if you're doing four sets or something like that, that you're going to be able to get a little bit more range of motion each time. And then you're really focusing on those hamstrings and those, that body awareness, and that positional awareness going through it. And there's no, like I said, there's no preconceived notion or desire to have to go and touch the floor all of a sudden because the floor isn't, isn't even an option.
1: The good more it's, it's I mean, it's safer. It's safer because there's like a natural buffer on it. You know, you, you really can't push it to, to a certain extent, especially if you're in a group class setting and you have a coach next to you. But
0: yeah, no, I, I just, when I'm programming, you know, even if I don't have time to necessarily assess or I don't plan that assessment piece in there. What I will do is I'll add that Sorensen, I'll build up to that Sorensen hold in their warm-ups and then put their good mornings in their strength piece and then gradually once I know that they've hit, you know, that 60 to 90 maybe even 2 minute Sorensen hold through their warm-ups over the 4 weeks, then I know that we've already worked on it so then we can kind of go there cuz a lot of folks should be surprised they are very weak in the Sorensen hold. So to, to test them, you know, sometimes can be demoralizing or be like, "Man, I'm really bad at this." So even just giving them a a low barrier, like 30 seconds or 20 seconds, then gradually building up in that first phase, sometimes is a good way to just transition and assess without actually assessing. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, that's, yeah, like, that's okay. what I, I do sometimes with folks that, I, I mean, there's some folks who I've I've been training remotely now that I had in person, uh, you know, for in-person clients who are been at our gym and I know that they struggle with certain things, you know, whether it's low back pain or whether it's shoulder pain or so on and so forth. So what I'm programming for them, I already know their limitations in some ways versus a, you know, like a complete stranger. Now, if I'm having a complete stranger and I don't have a chance to, you know, know them in person or. Pri- prior, I have to do. I do have to get some assessment data, prior. But I like most of these clients that I'm talking about. That progression I was just talking about are people who I've I've known for many years and I've been working with, and that's kind of how I transition them back to deadlifts in some way.
1: Yeah, I think the the good morning is honestly like a perfect replacement for deadlifts in a lot of situations. Personally, with with remote clients, it's like the first step. If if someone is having, you know, hit issues lower back issues and I want to get some sort of hinge in there we're gonna to go towards a good morning um, followed by a single leg deadlift followed by you know some sort of kickstand deadlift and then an elevated deadlift right so I think the good morning is great especially when you have a coach who can talk about the nuance of it but if you're in a group class setting and like everyone's deadlifting you kind of want to like have that person deadlifting so we have to look at how we can actually just modify the deadlift and I think the simplest is just to raise the ground up, especially if they can't touch the ground. Simply put a few plates between their legs and have them deadlift with a kettlebell or a dumbbell instead. Or you can, you know, put the plates under the, the, the barbell and let them still use the barbell. But I think just elevating it right away is, you know, is the simplest modification. Yeah, in
0: my phys ed classes, we would teach the deadlift and what I would do, and I thought this was you know, one of the, one of my smarter things that I've come up with, I would be like, all right, everyone to bring your feet together and try to touch your toes. And then if the folks who could do it, I'm like, all right, you're going to do a traditional deadlift. Now, everybody else, if you can't touch your toes. Why keep moving your feet out until your hands can touch the floor. And once you get to a position where your hands can now touch the floor, where your fingertips can touch the floor with your legs straight and your feet are wide, that's your foot placement for your deadlift. You are now going to do a sumo deadlift. And and there that would be such a quick, you know, I have 50 kids in a phys ed class and I don't have time to be like, all right, you're going to do this and you're going to do this. So it was just like a really quick, you know, scan the room assessment and get people moving and not feeling like, oh, I, I suck at this. But, you know, we'd be like, oh, we're going to work the sumo deadlift today and you're going to work the conventional deadlift. And then if you want a sumo, you know, if you're flexible enough and you want a sumo and you feel better sumo, then sumo, you know, but the other folk, you can't do conventional, right? So you you can't do that unless you want to have back pain or something like that later. So just a quick aside, if you are in a group class, you know, maybe you are, are a coach somewhere and you have 20 to 30 people. I mean, that's one of the good things about Prime's classes is we keep them pretty low, you know, 12 to 16. So it allows us to give some high quality coaching. But some of these gyms that I've been to, or I've heard about, you know, put like 25 and 30 in a class and then it's really hard to assess. So if you are, if you do have to do those scan the room kind of assessments, that's a good, and easy way to kind of adjust on the fly. And get folks still moving and still and and being safe.
1: Yeah, uh, when we're looking at the the deadlift and, and you know we're talking about like all these just different types of versions, I think it's important to mention that I'm speaking for both of us, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. We think in terms of patterns, right? So the sumo deadlift is you know different than the conventional deadlift for for various reasons, and you know certainly different than the good morning and a single leg like deadlifts. But like if we really break it down we're trying to get that individual or ourselves to do a hinge, a, a hinge movement, which focuses on the backside of your body, hamstrings, glutes, lower back, mid back. So if, if we can just use one of those, plug it in, get someone to hinge, then we move on. And we'll try to figure out how to get back to the original movement eventually. But if you're struggling right now to do a conventional deadlift, stop trying to do a conventional deadlift and just try to hinge find a way that you can target the backside of your body while feeling good, feeling strong, and not risking you know, a high risk of in, in, uh, injury, just go for it.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, when we're looking at that, it's not a, so much about the specific movement, like the deadlift or whatever. I mean, we, we program that way, but again, you know, we have programmed in the past where it's like, hey, choose your squat variation or choose your hinge or, and give people options. Yeah. One that we didn't really talk about that I do like a lot is um, a toes elevated like dumbbell RDL, like Romanian deadlift. So I elevate your toes slightly. <clears throat> um, this will get you to feel it in your posterior chain because some folks don't just don't feel it, or they don't kind of you know hinge enough. They kind of st- they initiate the movement from their lower back instead of actually reaching back with their hips first. And the toes elevated kind of forces you to reach back a little bit. And then the dumbbells again to touch dumbbells to the floor is. is You know, if you can with a proper hinge and a flat back, you are super flexible. Um, So there's no, so we're not, it's, there's, again, there's no preconceived notion that I have to touch these to the floor, similar to the good morning. So when you have a barbell deadlift, like, oh, I got to touch the floor, but like, when I have a dumbbell RDL, there's no idea, there's no thought in your head that these dumbbells are going to touch the floor right now. So it gives the, the participant almost like an, you know, a free pass to, do the range of motion to what their capacity is at this particular time.
1: Perfectly said. So now we've got the squat. Yeah,
0: squat. My dry, my squat. kryptonite. I shouldn't and, I shouldn't say that one hundred percent because I just I did just do some single leg squats with 30 with a weighted vest and ten a ten pound chain on for pretty good reps. Um, so what I like to do, so, so what I like to do with uh, young athletes in particular, and I think Mike Boyle had talked about this at some particular time because I get a lot of quotes from different people, and I think it was, this one was Mike Boyle. Um, if you're not familiar with Mike Boyle, Google him. He's got lots of stuff. Um, he talks about at, at in young ages teach unilateral. Right, teach some sort of split stance like split squats, rear foot elevated split squats, step ups, lunges, all that sort of stuff, like work that first and then go bilateral, right? Front squat, back squat, whatever. Um, and like the, the late teens, like college years, I guess, when you need to go heavy for your particular sport and those are the demands of your sport or activity. And then as you get older, go back to unilateral. <laughs> and I think it's great because like a lot of athletes, what you find especially athletes that I find that I work with, they struggle with so many different things because of the overuse. And we'll talk about this in a second as we'll, we'll let Tyler talk and we'll come back around because we did single leg squats in our athlete program today and they had some of them were mind blown how different they were from right to left, but they have so many imbalances. You know, Young kids who play sports have so many imbalances. And then you go and do a bilateral squat and those imbalances just become more apparent because they you know then you're in pain, you know one ankle may not work as well because you rolled it seventeen times, and then you have a shift in your hips and then your lower back hurts, and then it's just there's a lot of things that kind of carry over that the squat has demands of that are a little bit different than some of the other movements, and they cause pain in very different places than you might assume right away, so I think one of my big prerequisites for the squat i mean we have to have good ankle We're going to start at the bottom. And I think ankle mobility is number one, which is why I have almost every athlete who I work with use some sort of wedge or heel lift, no matter what. Um, there's only a few that I know of like 100% have like the most flexible ankles, like a baby. And I let them squat with like, they can go barefoot, like ass to grass, no problem, you know, and have perfect form. And yeah, those, those folks don't need a, a heel lift, but for the most part, the heel lift or the wedge is going to make Everybody squat better.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. I most of my clients, I suggest it right off the bat. I mean, I give them a chance. If I if I program a barbell back squat, I give them a chance to to go for it. Obviously, we've assessed their ankle mobility, and if there's not a big difference from side to side, I kind of let them do their thing. But I have many clients that you know, are using some sort of elevation, whether it's some five pound plates, a wedge or lifting shoes. And most of them, when they start using that, they feel like it's something wrong. Like it's something that we need to progress away from. And, you know, I tell them, and I'm going to say it here, like, to be honest with you, if you squatted with a a small heel lift for the rest of your life, like we're talking back squats, front squats, like who cares, right? Like the front squat, the back squat, they're made up exercises. So the heel lift is just another thing you know, within that made up exercise to help you get strong in your legs. And to be quite honest, if we never back squatted again, like, fine, let's just do the single leg unilateral squatting like you like you were talking about. So in addition to ankle mobility, I would say someone wants to have like pretty equal hip mobility, you know, from left versus right, right? So the hips they can they can bend up towards your face they can kick back towards your towards your butt but they rotate in and out and you know, almost everyone has some difference side to side, this hip, this knee can go in a little bit more, this hip can go out a little bit more. And if if it's a big enough difference, you're going to start to see some shifting side to side. So if there's a big enough difference, we're not going to really squat at all, we're going to go back to like you said, split squats, lunges, things like that. If there's a small difference, we can still squat, but let's elevate with a box so that we don't sink so low that the difference really causes us to shift left or right, right? So Ankle mobility for sure, hip mobility for sure. And if things are in your way enough, then just elevate. Either elevate where your butt sits on or elevate your heels and you're gonna be much better off.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that too. I mean, we do sometimes we'll do like standing pigeon pose as part of our, you know, just like come in and hang out while we're talking and chatting before class. And you'll see some folks will be like, oh, this, I don't feel anything on this one. And then this one is like six in this knee is six inches off the box. You know, so it's like, wow, that's pretty different. You know, like, do you have low back pain? Do you have this? I'm like, yeah, my back has been bothering me. You know, this. So you start seeing these differences. Like Tyler saying, that would be external, like a pigeon pose would be like external rotation of your hip. So if you really lack at that external rotation at your hip on one side, you're definitely going to see a shift, you know, in your squat. And then the other one is the internal rotation at your hip with a lot of folks, depending on which hand you are and if you played sports growing up. Like, so if you're, you know, most of the time, if you're right-handed, you probably have pretty good, right hip internal rotation if you've played any sport where you throw because you have to, like, kind of turn that hip inward when you throw and rotate or swing a baseball bat or a lacrosse stick or anything like that. So you find that the internal rotation on that side is pretty good and the other side, because you don't do it, isn't very good. So when you go to squat, you may find that that left side's a little jacked up. So, again, these are things that you can address and work on a little bit. But, I mean, if we're being, you know, honest, some of these things don't don't have, like, dramatic – changes, but a few degrees does make it feel a lot better. And when you're going into those, those movements, I mean, you're not going to go and change, change your hip internal rotation at 40 by like 10 degrees, you know, without like some real dedicated work and it's not going to happen overnight. You know, I think, um, I can't think of the guy's name, Chris. His name is Chris. He's a gymnastics guy, but he talks about like, um, tissue change. If we're talking about flexibility and mobility, is a six to nine to 12 month journey. If you're looking for like actual change in your flexibility, yes, you can make some changes immediately by foam rolling and things like that, but those aren't muscular or tissue changes. Those are central nervous system changes because they happen so frequently. Those are not things that are actual significant changes that are stick that stick they're just your central nervous system relaxing for a second and an opening opportunity for you to make, you know, hit the save button a little bit. So when we're doing those foam rolling or those exercises right before class and it makes you feel better, they're gonna, you're going to be doing those forever because they're not going to make long-standing changes. Whereas if you want to make a long-standing change, you should be working on your flexibility and mobility every day for 6 to 9 to 12 so maybe even 18 months to make those long standing changes and then you'll start seeing some results but a lot of folks don't do that and then they wonder why like their mobility has never changed because they only do like that 5 minutes of foam rolling or a 5 minute stretch before before a class and it's just like the like oh my hamstrings are a little tight today I'm just going to do that right now today but then they never address their hamstrings over again or you know my hip is a little tight I'm going to do it right now but they never do it on a continuous enough basis to make some real significant changes
1: yeah very very true. And I think you know, using the movement itself to improve your flexibility can help, but it it's just as long, right? If you have tightness on your, you know, your groin or your adductors, you find some tightness around your hip, like a loaded squat can help improve your mobility or your flexibility, but it's going to take just as long or just as a, a consistent approach. So, you know, when you're you know when you're looking for the, the prerequisites for a squat, I would say first of all question why you are trying to squat right if if you want to squat just because you think it's like cool the back squat you know maybe maybe you don't need to if you're looking to squat because you want to build your quads or, or develop more more leg muscle like consider doing another version of a squat it goes back to this movement pattern thinking you can achieve just as much strengthening at your hips your thighs your lower legs even your midsection from a split squat or a reverse lunge or a forward lunge as you can with a squat. This is for most people. Like Anthony said, if you're you know, going for a competition or you're in a sport um, or you're like competing for powerlifting, then yeah, you need to squat. But there's nothing wrong with, for the rest of your life, not doing heavy, loaded, you know front squats or back squats. Yeah, go ahead and throw some goblet squats in there for workouts. Um, you know, even do some front squats or back squats occasionally, but you shouldn't feel wrong by replacing those things with split squats and lunges for the majority of the time.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Just going back to the flexibility part of things is and in, in, I had a group of older women clients who I, I work with in a, in the morning and they were talking about how you know, there's this thing called like the stretch zone or something like that. I don't know. It's something like in Southern Florida area. And I think it's like, uh, they're stretch therapists apparently. And they help stretch you out and they, you know, and they were saying how difficult it is and they leave sweating and things like that. And I was just articulating that, you know, stretching isn't supposed to be easy. You know, it isn't like a passive. I'm just going to hang out. And we were talking about this with the couch stretch the other day, because like they were saying, Oh, this is, you know, because I was trying to get them to to posterior tilt at their pelvis and, you know, like really get into their hip flexor and get the quad going. And they're like, and they were just mind blown. They're like, oh, I was just hanging out here and this was easy. Now it's very difficult and I'm working and I'm sweating. You know, stretching isn't passive. I think a lot of folks think it's a passive thing. But if you really want to get the benefits out of it, stretching has to be more active and more conscious. So if you are stretching, don't just hang out there. You know, work on you know if you're doing let's say a pike where you're you know reaching on to touch your toes really focus on squeezing at your knees and squeezing at your abdomen and allowing things to actually relax in the position that you are you know if you're doing the couch stretch where you're trying to open up your hip flexors really engage that rear glute to allow your hip to to get into the range that it needs to get into, because that's what we're trying to work on when we're doing the couch stretch. We're trying to work on that opening of your hip, which will then help you potentially squat better, deadlift, better run better, all those things that we are, are talking about here. So if you are going to be stretching and you want to add that into your daily repertoire, just make sure that you are making it active and that it carries over to the movements that you struggle with the most. told you we weren't going to get to running.
1: Yeah, we, uh, we went, we got kind of deep there on the on the deadlifts but i liked it it was good
0: yeah yeah and like the the squat and the deadlift obviously those are going to be our two biggest most powerful most bang for your buck lifts if you're trying to lose weight if you're trying to build muscle whatever those things are because they are, have such a neural demand as well as muscle recruitment demand they can make the biggest changes you know if you're talking about you're you're doing you know what when we do like CrossFit style things or mixed modality training and you're doing, if you've ever tried to breathe heavy and do a front squat, you know what I'm talking about. You know, there's just some different demands to it than if I am, a, if I'm breathing kind of heavy and doing some pushups or bench press, it's not the same because of the demand of the movement is just much more impactful and, you know, burns more calories, create, you know, recruits more muscles, builds more muscle, may potentially releases testosterone, you know, all those different things that happen Um, while we're doing that i just give a a much bigger bang for your buck in terms of the lower body stuff than the upper body stuff
1: i would much rather lower body fitness every day honestly
0: yeah i mean i've i used to be the other way around but i really i kind of like all the lower body stuff at least stuff that i do (laughs) if i had to back squat every day i probably wouldn't like it but you know (laughs) i love i love deadlifts i love single leg deadlifts you know i love like nordic curls that we were doing you know i do a lot of kind of i guess unique variations of lower body exercises that we do in our our sports performance stuff and i really really enjoy those like tomorrow we're doing skater squats and trap bar deadlifts today we did some you know some reverse nordics to get kids to like build you know, reverse Nordic is a great way to build flexibility and strength simultaneously in your quads and hip flexors if you're doing it correctly. And I think that's a great tool. You know, every athlete was like, man, I really feel it, but it feels great afterwards. Like I feel like my quad is pumped, but I also feel stretched. It's kind of like a weird feeling. So yeah, it was really cool to, to like see them feel and, and acknowledge their body and have that body awareness as they're doing it. So, so
1: next week, maybe we'll do this in the same in the same room uh and maybe we'll touch on running but maybe we'll save that for a couple of weeks from now. I don't really know what the topic is next week but hopefully hopefully we get it done. Got a busy week next week with my sister's wedding but we shall see.
0: Yeah, maybe we can have her in here. She was already asking to come into the gym next week so <laughs> yeah,
1: celebrity presence from my sister the nurse practitioner.
0: Yeah, newly nurse practitioner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, folks. So so now you have some things to think about in terms of your deadlift. You know, do we want to pattern it? You know, what pattern or what movement selection in that pattern do we want? You know, can we conventional deadlift? Should we be sumo deadlifting? Should we be doing a good morning and RDL? Should, can we Sorensen hold? You know, all these are all things to think about with a deadlift. And if you're thinking about squatting and you really struggle with it, some of the easiest ways that Tyler had suggested to adjust your squat to be safe and effective, you know, is – lift something, you know, either lift a box under your butt or elevate something, have a elevate the height of your squat by putting a box there or elevate your heels or do both, you know, and just make the squat feel great. You know, you want movement to feel good. And it's a, it's a controlled stress. So it's a stress that we're putting on our body, but we are in complete control of how much stress we're putting on our body and where that stress is going. So just make sure that you're putting it in the right places and making sure that you're healthy and safe in doing it. Tyler shrugs and that's it folks and I guess till next time we'll continue to help you find your prime later thanks again for listening to another episode of the find your prime podcast as usual we would love to hear your comments and feedback give us some five-star reviews to help us help more people find their prime if you want to get in touch with Tyler or myself remember the best way to do that would be on instagram Mine is at A Mercurio, M U C U R I O, and Tyler's is at TylerCalasey. D P T. Till next time.
1: Hey, hey, I'm at my
0: prime. Whoa. Said I'm at my prime.